Blog Talk Radio. Live from Washington, D.C., it's quintessential listening. Poetry Online Radio. QLPOR, as it's widely known, features a bevy of poets, spoken word artists, and live poetry readings with best-selling authors. Your host is Dr. Michael Anthony Ingram. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the program. In my special guest spotlight tonight, I am pleased to introduce you to multi-talented poet and number one best-selling author of the 2016 poetry collection Chosen, A Journey Back to Love, Alyssa Noel Coelho. Through words and stories, Alyssa inspires humans to treasure and adore their precious existence. The Alchemy of the Beast, The Lionheart Chronicles, her newest work will be released on December 14, 2023. Through all of her endeavors, she reminds us that we all possess wild potential, hungry spirits, and gifts that can make a difference in the world. So help me welcome Alyssa to the program. Hello. Hi, Michael. Thank you so much for having me. It was a lovely introduction. Right. I'm so excited well, to be here. Well, thank you. Thank you. Hopefully I pronounced your beautiful name correctly. It's one of those names that uh, flew off the tongue. <laughs> Like oh, good. you know. It's what... Okay. Yeah, there's that's, a story. That's a nice name. That's a nice name. There's a, yeah, there's a good story behind that too. My mom, when she picked out uh, our names, she actually did it with the the vision of our names on book on book covers. Did she now? She really wow. did, and you know, we all turned out to be writers. So, kind of oh, incredible how that happens, wow. right? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's one of those names you see written in the stars. So, again, thank you for being with me. Let's begin this poetic journey. Alyssa, what is poetry? <sighs> Quite the loaded question, Michael. Um, <laughs> poetry. I think, you know, in general, poetry is a sort of outpouring of the soul with words. You know, it's, a, it's an expression of moments that describe the universalities of the human experience. I mean, poetry for me specifically has, uh, it's always been a lifeline. Mm. Mm. All right. Tell me more about the lifeline. Flesh that out for me. Oh gosh. Well, I didn't choose poetry uh, when I was young. It definitely, it definitely chose me. I had, um, you know, the same hard time that a lot of us do growing up and poetry was kind of, yes, just became the coping mechanism. I reached for words and, and they reached back. And um, that was how my journey with poetry started all through, all through mm-hmm. my adolescence. And it became a really beautiful wow. thing into my adulthood. Yeah. So you reached for words and they reached back. That's such a beautiful phrase. You reached for words and they reached back. And your hands met or your arms met. I guess mm-hmm. the rest is history. Yep, oh, the rest nice. is history. I like, <laughs> I like that. So, based on what you know about the world, Melissa, hmm. is poetry important? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, poetry, it's, it's important for so many reasons. Um, it definitely mm-hmm. gives a voice to 
many of the experiences that people often have trouble articulating and understanding and internalizing or externalizing and integrating. I think that, um, you know, I've met so many people who other things come so easily to them, like mathematics or other things that are so mm-hmm. difficult for me. And so writing was always right there for me. And as I grew up, I realized that it wasn't as um, immediately available and accessible to everyone else, especially poetry. And so um, I'm, I feel very grateful for that to be a vessel for, for what wants to come through when it does. I think specifically in mm-hmm. this era that there is just so much about our emerging culture that emphasizes ambition and productivity. And for many, those things are pushed at the cost of a life filled with creative freedom and expression yes. and exploration. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm based mm-hmm. in Southern California where this culture is just incredibly heightened. And the way I see poetry emerge around me is as, a voice that sort of shines right through those cultural structures and expectations and reminds people that we're, we're connected underneath it all, you know, in the grander picture mm-hmm. and there's more to life. And I mean, the ability to use words in a way that speaks to and inspires other within the context of any cultural construct is, is no easy feat as I'm sure, you know. Yes. You know, it's funny as I read through your bio and I read the word sociocultural anthropology, You know, a number of years ago, I wrote a number of articles that were published on sociocultural poetry. And actually, Mm. I thought I had coined the term sociocultural, but I guess I didn't. So (laughs) (laughs) true, I felt bad, but. (laughs) Oh, maybe you you did. Maybe you did. (laughs) But what exactly is sociocultural anthropology, and how does that connect you to the soul and the source? I want to know. I liked reading that. Tell me more. Yeah, so I went to school for cultural anthropology um, with a focus on the way uh, cultures are built within societies. And that is, um, people often ask me if I'm using that degree specifically in my work, and and I use it it in the way I experience the world. Um, I'm a big proponent of travel and the transformative power of travel, and So I I often encourage people, and and a huge goal of this series is to encourage people to um, immerse themselves as much as possible in in other cultures and traditions and experience other ways of life because there Mm -hmm. has been, there's there's really nothing more important than discovering that connectedness between people, regardless of what uh, barriers we think lie in between, you know, whether it's language or tradition or religion and and I think when people experience the transcendence of those things and the beauty and other ways of life it's it's priceless mm-hmm. so what do you think based on your knowledge skills and ability abilities what holds us back from being able to embrace the goodness in others oh what a fantastic question well, I don't know, it just popped in my head. I think, yeah, no, it's a, it's a, it's a great question. I, I think that what's on the forefront of that for me personally in my experience is um, when we walk into a situation with bias, which is often um, rooted in our beliefs, and yes. um, I'll give you give you a little backstory. So I grew up in a, in a very... Um, Christian home, grew up knowing this beautiful love and light and 
as I went through my adolescence, I started diving a little more into the doctrine and the belief system and um, came to love it and know it for myself. And then when I got into the world and started to experience, you know, I went to college, I fell in love with all my multicultural studies and I started to experience mm-hmm. other cultures and see the beauties and the interconnectedness of it all. And um, I realized in my conversations with other people, because I was so hungry to learn. And in, when you're hungry to learn, you have to drop your walls. You have to drop your biases and the things that you think you know and able to really learn and connect with either any, any sort of, you know, activity or, or hobby or um, person, really. And so mm-hmm. I think that often our own beliefs can be the very thing that holds us back from connecting to other people, mm-hmm. seeing, seeing, the, seeing ourselves in them and the goodness in them. That's where that question would, mm-hmm. would take me back to. It's also, a, I actually right. address that in the, um, the Dear Reader at the beginning of my novel because um, going into something with an open mind and, and really putting your belief system and your biases on the, on the sidelines is what keeps you open and receptive to those beauties in life. Yes. I like that. I also think fear holds us back. Mm-hmm. Fear of the uh, of the other, whatever that other is, and it is very it's not easy to to move forward sometimes, but it's important right. to move forward. It's important to move forward. Now, yeah. please share with me an early experience where you learned that poetic language had power. Hmm. Well, I wrote poetry until I was in high school. And when I was in high school, I I was introduced for the first time by one of my favorite teachers to a spoken word, to slam poetry. Mm. And yes. that was my, oh my, because, you know, like I said, I, I didn't choose poetry. <laughs> it felt like poetry chose me. And I honestly, I didn't value it very much growing up. I, I despised reading poetry in school. I thought it was too <laughs> abstract. I thought it made mm-hmm. no sense. I had no idea what these old people from centuries ago were trying to tell me. <laughs> and I hated that we spent so much time. It was like, okay, but what is this going to change now? You know? And um, mm-hmm. it took me a while to, to really realize the power of it. And when I first started watching people on stage, not just read from a piece of paper, but remember their work and embody their message and speak it out to the world with so much conviction that was mm-hmm. my first time really falling in love with, with the power of poetry. Wow, very nice, very nice. Now, all great writers, and I include you in that category, all great writers have great writing influences. Who are some of yours? Mm. What makes them great in your eyes? Mm, so right now, um, I would say for the last for the last three years, the writers at the forefront of, of my vision is uh, Dakota Dawn, Ali Michelle, um, and a woman named Brooke Solis. And their work is just, it, they're modern poets, they're, they're young, and they're, ta- they're voicing things that, um, you know, like I said, are on the forefront of issues in our culture or um, mm-hmm. themes that kind of they're wrestling with and it's, they do it in such a profound magnetic way. So those are definitely some of my influences. 
So, Alyssa, what do you write about? What are the predominant themes of your work? So my work revolves heavily around um, kind of, as you, as you mentioned in my, from my bio, falling in love with the human experience. The good and mm-hmm. and the bad, the blissful and the tragic. I I, I write, yes. you know, mm-hmm. the duality of all things. I write a lot about the crumbling of the old and the emergence of the new, uh, the journey mm-hmm. into the unknown. I write. I, I explore a lot about the different shades of love, obviously, including a lot of romance and loss and sensuality and awakening. A lot of travel, a lot of letting go mm-hmm. of illusion and and unraveling and unbecoming and discovery in that. All right. So those are kind of the areas I lose myself in. (laughs) I can tell. That's a lot. lot. So how does (laughs) so how does a poem begin for you with an idea, a feeling, a form, or an image? How does it begin? So when I say that poetry uh, reaches out to me, I really mean it. <laughs> um, I often okay. never, yeah, I often never sit down with an idea of what I'm going to write about. Um, and I, this is mm-hmm. not, my creative process is not one that I can um, just call upon and it happens. Uh, the words often find me in the middle of the night or when I'm sleep deprived and I'm like broken wide open in some sort of way emotionally or um, yeah, it, as long as I sort of remain receptive and open, I, I will hear words come to me. Um, and, and if I start writing, then the poem kind of forms itself. And sometimes I have no idea what I'm writing about until it's done. And sometimes when it's done, I'm like, wow, I thought that was going to be something completely different. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, please share a poem. Okay. The divine is a relentless lover, fierce and reckless in her pursuit of the pieces of my being I deemed lost, forgotten, shipwrecked and swallowed by the holy beast. I made peace with their absence, with the vacancy they left. And now, sweet lover of my soul, relentless and determined and more powerful than the hands of time, you call them back to my skin, a lighthouse to this wicked sea. You beckon them home and back to me. And that one is finished. All right. Tell me about the purpose of that particular piece. Hmm. Well, I think it's about the sort of just the ways that we can become disconnected from our source, whatever that may be, whether it's a God or a magic within or an an external divinity. Um, Mm -hmm. This is about the calling home of that and how it, it brings all the pieces back to who we are once we find that source again. So when we find that source again, what happens inside? Do we transcend in some way? I guess that's my question. Mm-hmm. Uh, in my, I think it's different for everyone, but my personal experience okay. is the, the sort of the unity of the self is what creates the um, – 
I think that when, when we stand in integrity with all the different parts mm-hmm. of who we are and we own them and we don't leave them to the shadows, it sort of brings mm-hmm. upon that transcendent experience of spirituality that I think, you know, it can be found in, in any practice and religion and spiritual work. So in terms of your relationship with poetry, mm-hmm. how do you think it's changed from when you began to now? What happened? What brought you to this place? Well, I think that I would like to think that my writing has definitely improved <laughs> since the okay, very okay, beginning. Okay. I feel like, but I think the biggest lesson that, that poetry has taught me over the years is it's been, a, it's been a grand reflection of where I am at with my spiritual self. You know, mm-hmm. um, when there, there have been times when I was living in a shadow in my life that I couldn't quite escape, and poetry left me. I didn't write for, for two years. And it was okay. because after much reflection and years later, I know that it was because I was not living in integrity with who I knew I was supposed to be in this world and what I was mm-hmm. worth and what my value was. And, um, and so I, I wasn't able to connect with that, that gift, the, the part of me that was always open and receptive to, to words coming to me and to life coming to me. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny, question. there's a lot of synchronicity. <laughs> It does. It does. You're great. There's a lot of synchronicity tonight because I've been reading lately articles about how to free yourself from your own life Mm. when you feel trapped in your own life. So just listening to you gives me more insight into why it's important to at least, I don't know, to push myself in a new direction, in a new Mm -hmm. direction. So thank you. Just based on what I've heard so far. Thank you. Mm. You're very welcome. All right. All right. Please share another poem. Okay. Well, then you'll like this one. If you are not dripping, if you are not dripping words, go live. Give me your clothes. I want you stripped and naked, running barefoot into the dark of the night, breaking your skin and filling your lungs until you wake up and realize that what you taste on your tongue is this moment. And while it is fleeting, it is the only truth you have. Alyssa, please share that one again. <laughs> please share that <laughs> one again. Happy to. For, for the people in the back who didn't hear it, please share that one again. It's beautiful. If you are not dripping words, go live. Give me your clothes. I want you stripped and naked, running barefoot into the dark of the night, breaking your skin and filling your lungs until you wake up and realize that what you taste on your tongue is this moment. And that while it is fleeting, it is the only truth you have. Wow. Yeah, that, that one, that one I think, hit me in the face when, <laughs> when I first read it, too. I was like, did I just write that? Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a good one. That's <laughs> so good. Thank you. That one is one for the ages. <laughs> mm. It's so true. It's so true. I'm wondering, based on what you know about the world, your lived experience, mm. does it hurt you to write poetry? If not, why not? Does it hurt me to write poetry? I don't think it hurts me. I think that, um, okay. yeah, I think that 
You know, the most artful expression requires some letting down of guards. And I think that it takes, it takes a lot to journey within and to lay yourself open to uh, move the expression outward into the world, no matter what modality you're, you're using to do it. Um, I wouldn't say like the other, the other sort of modalities that, that are a, a similar spiritual experience for me, like dancing, for example, I don't think it hurts me. It might hurt my knees some nights, <laughs> but I don't think it, okay. I wouldn't say it hurts me um, to do these things. I, I would say it, 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 it's a solace. It definitely, it's a comfort in, in the times where I am hurting, you know, there's always, mm. there's always a pen and there's always a piece of paper. Now, are you willing to be hurt by the poetry of others? If not, why not? Oh, absolutely. Um, Tell me more. Talk to me. Absolutely. You know, I've, I've read some, some of the poets that I mentioned before are very vulnerable in the things that they share of their own experiences. And, and I think that it, that's a good thing. I, you know, I, I plan to share tonight some of my more recent, more romantic, more in love with the human experience type of poetry. But the first book that I wrote was very mm-hmm. dark in terms of poetry. And I think it's important that people share those, those experiences too, because those are the realities of the world we live in. You know, not everything is rainbows and dandelions and, like I said, running barefoot in the middle of the night and loving it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so mm-hmm. um, That's true. Yeah. Yeah, I think it's all important. Wait, it is all important. And one of the questions that I usually ask, and you've already answered it, I ask, is writing a poem letting your guard down or building a wall? And I've heard... A lot of different a lot of excuse me, a lot of different answers. You're my four hundred and I don't know fifteenth guest, I believe. So I've heard oh, a gosh. lot of different answers over the course of the last six years in terms of that. Some people believe that it's both. It's letting your guard down and building a wall. You know, it's just a lot. What do you think about that? Yeah, That's you know, I I think that um, it's it's always what we choose to do with the skills that we have and the, the voice that we have and, and the abilities we have. Um, I've seen, I've seen people with incredible talent use their voice to speak out certain things on, on certain topics specifically. Um, I've seen some, some poets do this politically and I've seen it cause more division than it did unity. And personally, that's not something I want to strive for. I do acknowledge that, that sometimes it's necessary, but, but like all things, I think it's what we choose to do with, with the, the abilities that we have and, and what we have at our fingertips, mm-hmm. you know? Yes. So for you, the ability to write poetry, is it a creative gift or creative art? Hmm. I, for me, I would say that poetry, poetry is, what, is what came to me as a gift. It was not something, yeah, it was not something I chose, but it's definitely an art that I've learned to develop because, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, as you grow older, you know that all those gifts and things that you were given as you were young, they need to be groomed and they need attention and, and, and growth, you know? Yes. I like the way you think. Please share one more piece and then we'll focus on your newest work. One more piece, please. Okay. 
This love will not live in the shallow. It will not wheeze in empty air or dance at the edge of my fingertips like every other uncertainty in my life. This love will not hide in fantasy or ignore your humanity or cower in the face of not being enough or the fear of being too much. No. This love will turn the lights on and sit your darkness by the fire and share stories over a bottle of wine or two or however many until the sun decides to rise. This love will light candles in the moonlight and dance with the parts of you others are afraid of. This love will stay awake through the night and invite your shadows to morning coffee and your winters to my dinner table. This love will turn the lights on and listen to the all of you, to the sacred and the unholy and every magnificent beast in between. Okay. You know, that poem, <laughs> that poem is extremely, well, all of your work, but that particular piece is extremely well crafted. I could see it. I could visualize what you were sharing. Your new book, The Alchemy of the Beast, tell us about it. And the Lionheart Chronicles. I want to hear about that too. Talk to us. Yeah. So the Alchemy of the Beast is the first creation of the Lionheart Chronicles series. So uh, in 2017, I unexpectedly lost my father, who was my everything growing up. I I had never experienced grief or loss or death before. And so this was my first experience, and it hit closest to home, closer than anything could. And I spiraled. I had I was in the middle of a giant spiritual crisis in my life, having just entered college and questioning all of my beliefs. And I had no coping mm-hmm. skills to deal with this or figure out how to move through it. And after discovering Dan Millman's work, I uh, bought a I bought a ticket to Costa Rica to go to his um, retreat. And this the incredible synchronicities that happened in that week. I, it, it created the perfect catalyst for me to move through my next phase of healing, which, you know, I had hit a ceiling with. I was like, I'm sorry. There's, <laughs> I've been through all of the stages, and there is no way I'm accepting this. And um, I went there knowing that, but I had no idea what I would experience. And so I came back and had this vision um, come forth for a book about that week and then further a series because, You know, as you know, um, death is only one of the many inevitable human tragedies that we experience. And I found I found I discovered a solace in in traveling to um, find the particular elements that were going to help me alchemize that beast. And Mm -hmm. so the first book, The Alchemy of the Beast, is about that journey. It's very it's based heavily on my own experience, but it is fictionalized with a whole lot of magic to draw readers in and take them to another world, a hidden village in Costa Rica where time stops and they get to um, move through a similar experience, hopefully for themselves. You know, I'm going to ask you a question. Uh, It's a very simple question. What exactly does it mean, the alchemy of the beast? Break that down for me. What exactly does it mean? Okay, how do I answer this without giving too much away? Um, well, <laughs> well, I did, I did already. <laughs> so we go out and buy it. <laughs> yeah, no, I did already give away a little bit. Um, the, beast, the beast is is 
I, I try, I like, as an adult, I like to keep some things abstract because it, it gives the okay. imagination for each person room to fill in what it means to them, you know? So as they read, all right, all right. <laughs> as they read what, what they'll experience is the beast is, is death. It's this giant thing that is inescapable that people have no idea how to understand or how to predict what comes after and what their life will look like without the loss they just experienced. And so the process of, of alchemizing that um, is what this book is, is about. You know, I, 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 when I went into writing this book, the reason I chose fiction instead of a memoir style is because I, I'm not a fan of teaching people things. I'm not, I didn't want this to be, okay, this is going to be a guide as to how to move through grief or how to heal parts of yourself. I really wanted a way to guide people in their own experience of it by just sharing my experience of it because there was okay. so much magic inside. And I think that when we experience grief, it's so easy to overlook all of the magic still mm-hmm. happening in the world around you. So the word alchemy, mm-hmm. what does that mean? What does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? I want to know. I have an inquiry. Alchemy. Well, alchemy is, yes. did, you, did you ever read um, The Alchemist by Paulo Coelho? No. <laughs> no, I didn't. Oh, no. my gosh. Nope. That's next on your list. You absolutely have <laughs> yeah. to. That is See? literally, I make friends with someone and I give them that book. So I will definitely be sending you one. Oh, this, thank you. Thank you. Yeah, oh, alchemy. Word. I've heard it. Uh-huh. It's it's I've heard it many times, but I don't know what it means. Talk to me. Well, for me it is changing <laughs> for this book, it's changing a tragedy, transforming a tragedy into a triumph, into something greater. Mm-hmm. For lack okay. of a better word. I almost I like dropped that. a few curse words there, but <laughs> that was a much more eloquent way of saying it. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you. <laughs> that is so helpful. Thank you. <laughs> Beautiful. All right. Let me ask this question. Mm-hmm. Has a poem you've written ever frightened or humbled you? To the frightening. I'm trying to think about mm-hmm. the humbling. Um, I think that that poetry in general, uh, my practice, my experience with poetry is a humbling experience uh, because I will almost always say that that a poem never quite feels like mine. If I mentioned before about words sort of coming to me when they want to be written and um, sometimes a poem will come. I really, it's a beautiful poem. I won't understand it. And then six months, a year later, I'll come back and be like, Oh my God, that was the answer. I wrote the answer I needed before I needed it. Like six months, a year later, that matches exactly what I needed to hear. And in, in that sense, and and the other ways poetry has always come to me. It's never, it's been, like I said before, more of a gift than Something that I feel like I can own and put my, you know, ownership, my stamp of ownership on. Like, yeah, I wrote that, but but it's it feels more of a spiritual experience. Like it's coming through me instead of from me. And I think in general that that's a humbling perspective every time. Well, you know, the cover of your book is quite striking. What was the process of creating the cover? Describe it to us, please. Oh well, um, I. 
am thrilled to hear that because I'm actually the designer. <laughs> so, oh, wow. Very nice. Yeah. Wonderful. Yeah, I designed it. Um, so I had a vision for the series. I wanted each one to look very similar. And obviously it's called the Lionheart Chronicles. And when you open the book up fully, you see the full Lionheart. Um, but the, the sort of goal of it in the background, you see the artwork of Costa Rica. And I worked with a phenomenal artist based in the UK, uh, Carly Ashton, but to, to she, I commissioned her for all the artwork in the book and she did a phenomenal job. And um, my goal was to create a portal for the, the reader, you know, every book, uh, the main character, Scarlett Leonelli lands her, every book begins with her landing in the country and sort of entering a new world every single time her plane lands. And I wanted to create that visually for people that if you see Costa Rica, this, this vision of the night and the eclipse, it's within the lion's frame. And so it's kind of like draws you in, in that sense, it's a little portal. So, um, yeah, that, that was that was the vision for it, the process. Like I said, I worked with a really great artist, and um, I just placed the artwork back there, and it was it was a really phenomenal process. I had a great team well, behind it's, it. It's a beautiful cover. Beautiful, beautiful cover. Please Thank share you. another poem. Share another poem. Okay. Are there any, is there any theme in particular you'd like to hear? <laughs> oh, now that's a good question. Don't ever ask me that. <laughs> I have a lot of romance. Yeah, some, some romance. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> some romance. A lot of romance, some longing and desire. Okay, okay, I got it. Oh, I, I don't want the longing. I don't want the longing. Just, just, the, romance. <laughs> just the romance. Okay. <laughs> you were my winter morning with coffee and cards by the firelight. Tender and sweet, stable and full of quiet wonder. You were my earth. You were the roots I never knew. The home I always sought on the other side of a plain or a sea or wherever I wasn't. And I was your summer night. Brave and reckless, under skies full of stars and howling at the moon with rum between my lips and poetry on my tongue. I was your wildfire, the hunger in your belly the flames you spent years running from because I was a variable you couldn't predict but knew you needed. And that's it. Wow. Yeah, that We're going to take fun. a brief break. <laughs> We're going to take a brief break. <laughs> but I'd like to share with you when we return. <laughs> yeah, I know, I know. <laughs> now, again, that's another one that packed a punch. <laughs> oh, good. Here's, here's my question to you. Here's my question to you. Is there a particular message that you hope to achieve through your work? And you've talked about it in, in, you've talked about it in generalities. Narrow it down for me. What is the message at the core of what you'd like to share through your poetry? I, that's just something I want to know. All right. Okay. You want me to answer after the break, right? And we'll, after the break, yes. Okay. <laughs> this is very okay. Short break. Good. All right. All right. Here we go.
We are back. I am Michael Anthony Ingram. I am here with Elisa Noel Coelho. Please share with me the answer to my question. What is the, the goal of your poetry? Okay. I am so glad that that answer came to me quickly because I expected that break to be much longer. <laughs> so my answer to that would be that I want to... I want people to see the magic in their lives and fall in love Mm -hmm. with their lives in a way that becomes their religion, in a way that becomes their spiritual experience. Okay. That would be my summary. Why? Why? Because, you know, Michael... Yes. The, the world is complex, and it's yes, dark. It and even in, in these times right now when we see, you know, what's going on on the other side of the mm-hmm. world, it's, it's difficult to find light, and it's difficult to not be weighed down by the tragedies of the human experience. And sometimes it takes work to, to really see the beauty in life and to be inspired to live it and to create from it. And uh, I've been fortunate enough to have those experiences of falling in love with certain pieces of magic in the world and in my life and in other cultures. And it's a transcendent experience. And I would wish that for everyone. All right. You know, in this world, as you just shared, as you just stated, there's good there's bad, there's ugly, as well as indifferent. So for you, based on what you know about this world, what did you view as being the role of a poet in modern-day society? Hmm. You know, I'm no historian, but I am willing to bet that when we look back at the history Mm -hmm. of poetry, the role of the poet has always been similar. Um, I think that that's that's probably to see and feel the things others don't or can't or, and to give a, to give those things a voice to wake people up in in a way that moves them deeply and inspires them toward action, whether it's Mm -hmm. minute or personal or grand and on a large scale. Okay. Now, have you written a poem that you were fearful about including in your collection based on it being possibly being misinterpreted. Have any poems in your collection like that or poems that you did not include? Oh, yeah. I actually, my entire first book was that, exactly. Oh. <laughs> the book I, oh, I published, okay. yeah, the book I published in 2016, as I mentioned before, that was yes. raw and gritty and I was scared of my mom reading that one and um, <laughs> I still did it. Okay. so with that particular book I'm going to ask you about this book too what do you think you learned about yourself when you wrote Chosen Hmm. well um, I learned that I could write a book in a year (laughs) which I didn't quite think possible but I gave myself that deadline and it (laughs) happened Um, Mm -hmm. I think that book, and actually, you know, if you hold that book up next to this one, the cover on that is black and, um, it's much, it's much darker. So it's kind of interesting. I, I think that that book really encompasses the, 
the sort of melancholy I felt over my childhood and my adolescence. And I, I think that I was successfully able to kind of close that chapter with the publishing of that book. But I think it taught mm-hmm. me um, a lot about shadow work and a lot about mm-hmm. how the parts of us that live in those shadows and the experiences that live in those shadows that we don't want to share um, mm-hmm. they are u- universal and it is important that we share them. You know, I had, um, a lot of teenagers cause I, I had gone back to the high school that I came from. I published that book when I was 21. And so mm-hmm. I went back to my high school at the time and, and hearing the teenagers speak up and, and say certain things about resonating with my work was, I knew that it was supposed to be published and I had a lot of um, reservations about it, but I knew it was supposed to be published in the time that it was. And, you know, it made them mm-hmm. feel like they weren't so alone. And I think that that's, that's the importance of sharing the things, the experiences that we often don't want to, or that we find shame in, or we just want to forget and mm-hmm. put in the past, mm-hmm. but it's all important. Well, I commend you because you're right. Uh, writing is one thing, but sharing it, it's something mm-hmm. totally different because it, it opens up vulnerabilities or possibilities, you name it. Let's take a call. This is a call-in show, and we do have a caller. All right? Okay. Here we go. Area code 503. The first three numbers are 704. You're on the air with Alicia. Hello. Good evening. Oh, my goodness. Hello. <laughs> How are you? Is it me? Yes. Hi, I'm good. Yes. I'm great. I'm enjoying this podcast so very much. I cannot believe the depth of the questions. It's like I can feel them in my heart. Wow. And the answers. Well, thank you. <laughs> thank yeah. you so much. Oh, uh, absolutely brilliant, Alyssa. I'm in awe of you. Um, I would like to know what the difference is, and you did mention that you write, that these poems kind of write through you, but I'm wondering if when they come out, is there a difference between the ones that you would speak, say, as a slam poem, uh, rather than just read them? Because I noticed tonight you're you're reading them, and, and which mm-hmm. is beautiful, but I'm wondering if some of them come out like, this one needs to go out in front of the microphone and be yelled. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I'm pretty sure, is this Michelle Collins? Yes, it is. I know your voice. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in. <laughs> or at least I was the first call that came in. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, no, great question. So, yes, there's a big difference in the poems that um, are written to read and the poems that are written to perform. For me, the, the spoken word performance the spoken word poems are often, you know, four to six pages of, of a poem that you sort of, you memorize and you perform in front of a mic and you really take a reader through an entire journey to reach um, a point. Um, And the, most of the poems that I write are not spoken word poetry. Um, There, there are some and they're much longer and I usually don't, um, I haven't performed a spoken word, I think, in about eight years. But when I launched wow. the first book, I did. And and it was incredible that the poem that I performed with that book, um, that I wrote that poem. It was 
It was five pages long. I wrote it in 10 minutes. Obviously, I went back, I edited it, but that was like the definition of a down, like a divine download for me. And when I went back through and edited it and, you know, revised it for performance, obviously revisions were made, but it wasn't, it, it wasn't super massive. Like the message that was supposed to come through on that stage was just very specific. So um, yeah, there's a big difference in those types of poems. And there's also a big difference as you were talking, because um, I know I pointed out that, that some of these poems are kind of divine downloads. And, and so the, the way I always know the difference when it's me writing or when it's, you know, some other entity coming through me is in, when I choose words or I have a vision of something I want to say, it's always the thing in the back of the journal that like I spend weeks coming back to it <laughs> over and over again. And it never comes out quite as um, beautifully as some of those downloads do. So that's how I know like, okay, well, this is meant for me later or someone else who's going to hear, see these words. You know, Alisa, your voice takes on a different resonance when you talk about spoken word poetry, yeah. it's almost like <laughs> you become a, you become <laughs> you come alive in a different kind of way. I too am a spoken word poet. Oh, and, beautiful! Uh, <laughs> yes, yeah, yes. you know what I mean. Then. The country. Yes, I do, I do, I do. So it's, it's, there is a difference. And one of the questions mm -hmm. that I usually ask is, what is the qualitative difference between your writing voice and your speaking voice? So based on your background as a spoken word poet, what, in terms of what might be the difference, if there is one? Yeah, no, it's a huge difference. I, I definitely experienced that difference. When I was in high school, I performed both years um, for the Slam Poetry Show, and I, it, was my first, it was my first time doing that and really getting to embody a message and speak it from my core and take people on the journey with me. And then I got to college and I was published in like the college journal and I got up on stage and I read a poem from my paper and I was like, Oh my God, this is so terrible. <laughs> like, this is so boring in comparison to spoken word poetry. And so, um, you know, when I try to read poems out loud that I write that aren't spoken word, I still try to bring some of that vigor in. But as a spoken word artist, you know, it's just a totally different experience when you're engaging people in story in that way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So. Well, what I'd like you to do with the next poem that you read from your book, I want you to live it. All right? Because, again, as a po spoken word poet, based on my own experience these last 30, 40, 50 years, uh, <laughs> I feel like poetry should be lived because you've written it, all right? So would you do mm -hmm. that for me with yeah, the intonations and all those things just to bring it alive? Yeah, wow, this is I great. A, I'm so glad you I have a me. perfect one. <laughs> oh, thanks. All right, all right, all right. <laughs> and I want to thank the caller as well. <laughs> okay. She was a tapestry of secrets. A universe and a little bit louder too, and a little bit okay. and a little bit louder too. All right, okay. <laughs> right. All right. She was a tapestry of secrets, a universe all in herself, with worlds of stories left untold and victories that would never be spoken. She was a raging sun, a goddess of war, with a spine woven of the battles she waged against each darkness that tried to steal her spirit and stifle her voice. To keep her small, 
contained. But her shoulders were braided of the claws she ripped from her throat and used as stepping stones. Time and time again, she braved the unknown, paving a way through dark matter for the generations to follow. She was a cosmic masterpiece, a dancer stitched by the stars. With all the feist of nature's laws, she was not birthed with ease, but with the clashing of asteroids and the burning of gas and the cooling of wind. And with the slowing of time, she unfurled her own gravity, a Valkyrie for the lost, and a giver of life. She sprang forth mountains from her wounds and rivers from her scar tissue. And with each passing of the moon, she sunk deeper and deeper into her truth. I'm finished. Wow. <laughs> wow. <laughs> That is about the closest I've gotten to getting back to spoken word, uh, that poem, because I remember even, yeah, even as I was writing, even as I was writing that poem, I was like, the way this is flowing and the way that I'm feeling it is much more um, spoken word performance style than than just reading. I, I, it was great. Thank you. (laughs) So when you're sharing your work, wherever you go from now on, live it. (laughs) <laughs> you wrote it. You see what I'm saying? Because it, it takes on a different level of awareness when we bring it to life, even pieces that potentially shouldn't be brought to life in that way. But when we put that, that kind of emotion into it, it just makes people think differently. It builds that bridge in terms of empathy. It really does. It really, really does. That was great. <laughs> Thank that you. That was fantastic. All right, all right, all right. Thank you. All right. All right. <laughs> please, at this point, please share with me the names of five poems in your book. Just any five. Random five poems. Okay. Well, they, the don't, they don't have titles. Um, okay. Actually, okay. That okay. Is, I've that has been such a gruesome process for me trying to name titles or um, name poems, mm-hmm. like give, give titles to my poetry. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember yes. when I went through and did that with my first book, I was like, this never again. <laughs> so with this, book, <laughs> with this book, you'll see, um, because it's more, the book is a novel. Um, you'll see that the, the way that I infused the poetry in it is more of, a journal style like it was it's the re it's the, okay. the main character's journal as she goes but um i have a, an introduction the first poem it kind of acts as an introduction yes. to the the book that i'm happy to read mm-hmm. please okay i'm lost in divinity between pages and ink shaking the hand of god and every stranger i meet I've kissed heaven so many times I write to see it bleed, and when my pen runs dry, I dance to hear love speak. So if time be my salvation, then fear be my enemy. And if my tongue forgets to pray, all I have to do is breathe. You know me. One more time. (laughs) One more time. time. (laughs) I'm happy to. It's one of my favorites. All right, great. I am lost in divinity between pages and ink, shaking the hand of God and every stranger I meet. I've kissed heaven so many times, I write to see it bleed. And when my pen runs dry, I dance to hear love speak. Time be my salvation, then fear be my enemy. 
And if my tongue forgets to pray, all I have to do is breathe. Okay. Let's imagine for a moment, as you think about that particular book, that writing poetry is like baking a cake. All right? <laughs> so <laughs> what do you view as being the most prevalent ingredients that would go into the concoction we call a poem? If, if, it, was, if it was a cake, what would you put in it? What would you put in it? What do you put in it to make it work? To make it taste oh gosh, well, I think two things came up, and one is kind of um, <laughs> I remember my sister having a workshop once titled "What do you do when when the book speaks back to you? <laughs> what do you do when the content oh, wow. is talking back to you?" <laughs> yeah, and that's kind of what came up is like asking the poem what is trying to be said. Um, I think that structure is a big thing that has become a blockage for me. Uh, like I said, okay. I didn't really okay. like poetry growing up and it was because a, a huge reason was because the, the structure that we're given with a haiku or these different types of styles, when we try to fit a message into the way we want it to come into the world, um, Mm-hmm. It's it can be scary, you know. It can it can turn the process into something that stifles the real message. So I think a huge part is like, okay, what what is what is being called for here? What does it really want to say? And how do I get myself okay. out of the way so that that happens? Mhm, mhm, mhm. And the second one, you said there were two things. Yeah, that was the second one. The second one was the, the that was the first, first one is getting okay. yeah. First one is sort of getting yourself out of the way, and the second one is, is okay. structure. And, yeah. Okay. All right. <laughs> okay. 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 So when you write, like in in this particular book, are you attempting to give voice to the voiceless? That's a very poetic way of saying it. Um. Yeah. Yeah, I, I definitely, in this specific book, you know, grief is never a simple journey. It's never just no, it's a loss. There, right? There is no, always not. so much. Um, there are so many dynamics with grief, mm-hmm. and it's complicated. There's all of the different ways it affects our identities and the way we show up in the world and the way we feel about ourselves. And um, so mm-hmm. with this book, I was really trying to give a voice to all of those things. Um, you know, the primary theme is grief, but there's a lot in there about romance, about relationship. There's a lot in there about connectedness to yourself and to your source and practices of spirituality. And and um, there's I, I try to, in small, subtle ways, nudge readers to think about all of these things because it's all of it. You know, the world we live in is not black and white. Yes. There are tons of shades of no, color. Yes. Yes. You know, it's funny. I remember I had a, a therapist years ago. Okay, it was a psychiatrist years ago. And she said that, <laughs> that, that the world is not black or white, that it is shades of gray, that that's where life happens in the gray. Ooh. Not at the two poles, but in the gray. That's where life happens. And I, I've held on to that, that statement for 25 years, and it's true. That's where the stuff happens. That's where the stuff happens. So in terms of writing this book, who are you attempting to reach? A wide range of readers, or are you attempting to target a specific group of people? 
Well, my hope is that it speaks specifically to people who are experiencing grief and are unable to move through it. Okay. okay. My hope is okay. also that it speaks to people who feel stagnant or uninspired in their in their lives and it encourages them to find beauty and answers in traveling because I am mm -hmm. a huge believer in the transformative power of travel. And mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. so, yeah, that, that's about, about the range of my market. So how did you deal with the, I guess, potential emotional impact of writing the book? How did you take care of yourself? I haven't said yet that this book took me about, about five years to write. Um, oh, did it now? Yeah, wow. it did. Wow. So it was quite a process um, with the awesome mentorship of, of my eldest sister. I wrote it raw mm -hmm. the first time, the, my yes. entire experience completely raw. And then I went through probably five or six big, heavy revisions of fictionalizing it, taking it to the next level, mm -hmm. growing distance from the characters, creating characters, mm -hmm. creating stories behind each character. And so um, I think... It, it's been it's been quite a process for me to um, you know writing it raw the first time was a whole healing experience in itself because I'm I'm voice I'm putting a voice and a vision to everything that I went through and, and acknowledging it as I went through it mm -hmm. and um, mm -hmm. thank God I had a community uh, to be able to do that with Michelle actually is is part of that community and all right great so she sounds great the, all right yeah that support has been so awesome and mm -hmm. and then um you know there's all these different phases you go through when you're trying to fictionalize a real story <laughs> and uh yeah it's true yeah it was, a good, it was a good experience well we've reached my favorite part of the program i view it as being a mini poetry concert this is an opportunity for you to share three or four of your pieces back to back no interruptions from me Okay. Okay. All right. Alisa, you're on the stage. Okay. This is actually a little sneak. This one will be a little sneak peek for the second book. All we have are choices. Fingerprints at points of intersection in directions with no road maps or caution tape or flashing red lights begging us to spin, breathe, and wake up to realize that these choices are power harnessed in motion, navigating a matrix that is constantly shifting trajectories, and every single one of them matters. This next poem was quite recent. In a world that is so concerned with sense, I have no desire to make more of it. I want to leave you on your knees, pride open, by magic and music with the words you never dared to share, bleeding from your tongue and trailing at your heels. Okay, and this next one was also inspired based on uh, one of my recent travel experiences. I want you sandy and simmering under the Spanish sun Scraping my skin, soaked in sweat and sex and sweet nothings. 
I want you unwound, unraveled and unbound, yanked by my teeth from the sutures that have kept you glued together all these years. Because this sapphire sky will forget us when it's sunset, but my tongue will remember the scent of your surrender and the salt in your soul long after this evening dies. Okay, let me see. This is probably a good one to leave on. (laughs) Then you, my dear, will bring the sun to me when I am tired and worn in a world of empty cups and half-assed answers with lackluster eyes and weary spines. You will bring the light that wakes me from this grave of content a blistered yesterdays and soiled tomorrows, a beaten love and surrendered dreams. You, my dear, will bring the sun to me. Okay. All right. Thank you. (laughs) Thank you. Based on what you know about the world, your lived experiences, your sociocultural activities, do you think you were meant to be a poet? Now that it's happened like this, talk to me. Yeah. You know, I'm a big believer uh, in free will and the the power of choice, but Mm -hmm. the ability to write poetry did always feel like something I came here with. And um, the particular Mm. words or messages coming to me over the years have never felt totally within my control. So that is my, that's, that's my one contradiction that I'm walking around with. You know, if I um, if I remain open and receptive, they come when they need to, and that sort of creative process definitely leaves leaves a meant to be feeling around it. All right, what surprises you most about being a poet? Oh, probably what I said earlier about how I despise poetry growing up. It's so funny because I I, I would be in classroom saying, why are we doing this? And what is the point? And I can't understand anything they're trying to say. And then I remember a few years ago when it dawned on me, like, oh, my gosh, what if if my poetry is the poetry that some kid is breaking their head over in class someday trying to figure out? And um, Mm -hmm. I think that that definitely surprises me most about it. (laughs) So... And you've answered this. I'm sure you probably think, oh, he has the same questions over and over and over again. But (laughs) if I was planning to purchase your book, Mm -hmm. is there any advice you would give me before I open the first page? Uh, My advice? advice, Yeah, my advice would definitely Mm -hmm. be to read the forward and the Dear Traveler, which is at the beginning, because um, those really, the forward was written by Joel McCarroll. I don't know if you're familiar, okay. maybe since you're in the performance road, no, you're familiar no. with him. He's an, he's an Australian no, no, no. poet. Yeah, he's a good, men, good, oh, wow. good friend and mentor of mine. And he wrote okay, the forward, okay. and um, he just nailed it. It really, because this book is not, it's not simple. It's not, there, there are so many um, complexities in the dynamics and so many themes that are wrestled with that I was so grateful when he read it that he, he really resonated with and pulled out the one theme that is important to prime readers with 
And uh, mm-hmm. I don't want to give too much away, so I'll leave it at that. But definitely That's read right. forward. And The Dear Traveler um, is my letter to the reader, giving them um, a nice sort of prep about how to take care of themselves while they read the book and um, mm-hmm. how to use the glossary in the back and all the things. Oh, wow, wow. Where can readers or listeners find the book? Where can they find your work? The book is up for pre-order on Amazon, Goodreads, Barnes & Noble, Google Books, Apple Books. And um, I definitely would love if people would order pre-order through Amazon because it will contribute to the run for bestseller on December 21st when it's released. Oh, wow. All right. All right. Yeah. <laughs> How can readers stay in touch with you? I'm very active on social media. Um, They can read a little more about me at lionheartcreations.org, or they can um, follow me on Instagram and my, and Facebook. My handle is, it's very simple. Alyssa Noel Coelho, just my name. Well, tell us more about Lionheart. That's an Mm -hmm. interesting title. Interesting word. How does they come into play? Yeah, I'm so glad you asked because I think I just, after eight years of business, I think I finally discovered why (laughs) I ended up on that name. (laughs) Yeah. um, So we've we've chatted, Michael, we've chatted a lot about um, the experience of of divinity and God and the other and source. and, And so I think my earliest experience of that was in watching, um, the Chronicles of Narnia. At 13 years old, I remember okay. my 13th birthday going with my mom to the theater and experiencing Aslan and experiencing this, um, like, the spirit of what a lion represented and what it embodied in that show. And then as I grew older and I started facing adversities in my own life, I always sort of called upon yes. that feeling. And even as I questioned the belief system I grew up with and went through my own spiritual journey, there was always this essence of, of what it meant to have a lion's heart and brave mm. the unknown and brave the, the tragedies as they came in life. And so um, as I was ruminating on, um, so the, the Lionheart Creations became a business of mine where I support other entre- authors and entrepreneurs on their journeys of mm-hmm. getting their businesses and projects out into the world. And it was just fitting that it, it worked for the Lionheart Chronicles because that's really the spirit that is, is pushing through with all of these, that no matter the tragedies that we face, there, there can be triumphs and, and beauty on the other side of them. All right. Here are my last two questions. Mm-hmm. Writers and poets write for a myriad of reasons. Some write primarily to speak a message to their audience Others write because staying silent is not an option. Alyssa, why do you write? I think I write to remind myself of the beauty in life, of the interconnectedness Mm -hmm. between me and other people. Yeah, and to inspire and to inspire others to see to see more than meets the eye. I think I think it's All difficult right. in the world we live in, and I, I yes, that's my wish for others. Where do you go from here? What's next for you creatively? 
Creatively, what's next for me is the next book in the series, all outlined and ready to be written. Okay. <laughs> How many books will be in the series? Do you know? Three to seven. Has the creator the told you yet? Three yeah, to... no, the, the, first, the first three are outlined. And so if we get to three and we're like, okay, well, that was the end of that, then then that's okay. And if, if it goes on to seven, then I'm okay with it too. <laughs> all right. Well, look, we've reached the end of our poetic journey, but I want to thank you for sharing your gift with me and with the world, in a sense. What I like about your work, there are a number of things. Your poems are well-written, but they also provide a sense of balance because they're not just, the word stuck comes to mind, they're not just in one category. Like you said, they're about a, a number of different things. And Life is about a lot of things, <laughs> sometimes <Yeah>. all at once. <laughs> mm-hmm, exactly. <laughs> so I like that. I like that you bring that out. I think that is so important. The alchemy of the beast. Thank you, Michael. I so appreciate that feedback. Yes, yes. Well, again, I want to thank you. I wish you nothing but the best. And when you write those other books, whether it's three or seven, <laughs> you're welcome to come back <laughs> three to seven times. <laughs> oh, awesome. And favor us with more of your work. And actually, it doesn't need to be poetry. If there are um, uh, parts of the book that you'd like to read, because I'm, I'm, I'm moving more into that, too, in terms of inviting mm-hmm. people to come on and just read short stories or from their novels or whatever. So if there's something that you'd like to share with the audience, please, let's make it happen. Oh, awesome. That sounds great. It was such a pleasure. I so enjoyed this conversation. Well, I'm glad. All right, fantastic. All right, then, everyone. I want to thank you. Alyssa Noel Coelho. Oh, I love that name. Beautiful. <laughs> it's almost <laughs> as good as mine. <laughs> Just one step below. All right, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in, and as I share with you every single week, every time we're together, let poetry ring somewhere throughout the land. All right, Alisa, take care. Thank you. You too. All right. Quintessential Listening Poetry Online Radio is available on iTunes, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. You can also check out the website at QLPOR.com